This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. The second season begins as the road to the NLL Cup kicks off Friday in Toontown. It'll be the Rush and Mammoth kicking things off in a rematch of their season finale. We say a tough and emotional goodbye to Rochester 1.0 and WLA teams poach the East. All that more on OTCB. lacrosse fans and welcome to another edition of the off the crossbar podcast here on soundcloud and the lacrosse flash my name is teddy jenner thank you for stopping by for another fantastic show as we get you set to kick off the playoffs friday night just a reminder we've got monday lacrosse games that's right two primetime monday night national lacrosse league playoff games it's going to be interesting it'll be a little different but As we continue to grow the National Lacrosse League, Mondays could start to become a regular thing. We'll get to that in a little bit. But if you want to get a hold of me here at the show, you can find me on Twitter at OffTheCrossBar or you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Continue uh, the great conversation with fans all around the National Lacrosse League, um, all throughout the world wanting to know uh, who's going to win, why players are moving in the WLA and the MLS sorry, the MSL. Um, We'll talk a lot of those things here on the show this week. We're going to be joined by Dan Dawson of the San Diego Seals. Uh, We'll have a chat with Smoke and Pat as always. Cody Jamison of the Nighthawks slash Thunderbirds, I guess, will join us. As will Joel Feld, uh, who's Director of Broadcasting for the National Lacrosse League. And uh, we're just going to kind of catch up and and see where the National Lacrosse League hopes to go in the future as their partnership with Turner and BR Live slowly wraps up its first year. But let's quickly go back and kind of wrap up the National Lacrosse League season for the 2018-2019 year. Um, We didn't get the trifecta, uh, the triple crown from Dane Doby. Uh, Callum Crawford and Dane Smith really ruined that party. Uh, What a bunch of jerks. They might as well go play for the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, Doby will win your scoring race with 115 points. Crawford wins the goal race with 48 goals, one better than Doby's 47. And Dane Smith takes the assist crown with 70 dimes, two more than Dane Doby. I know it was maybe a little bit of a stretch to hope that Dane was going to hold on over that final weekend, especially since the Roughnecks didn't play a game in that final weekend. But still, at the end of the day, What an incredible season from Dane Doby. Uh, A career high in all categories. uh, Really put himself in position for an MVP nod. And I think as this season went along, um, with the injuries to Mike Poulin, with the suspension of Callum Crawford, I think Dane Doby has vaulted himself up to the top of that MVP list. And it wouldn't surprise me, nor other NLL insiders and quote-unquote experts all feel that Dane Doby will be your 2018-19 MVP. If not, I will have a lot of questions. But in that final weekend, we did have some games. Toronto put the boots to Vancouver in Vancouver's final home game of the regular season and it ends another disappointing season for the Warriors Obviously not the way they wanted to start their return to downtown. And the biggest thing, and this is probably maybe a obvious 
thing. Once the Vancouver Warriors start to become a true winning team, I believe the fans will start to show up. And it's not a knock on the Warriors. It's not a knock on the Vancouver fans. It's a sports thing. When teams aren't winning, fans generally don't want to shell out money and support that club. Whatever sport it may be. So if the Warriors and general manager Dan Richardson can start to put some pieces together to get that group into a winning form, which I don't think they're that far off of, once they turn things around and start putting some W's in the column, I think they're going to be a a much better team and a better supported club. Unfortunately for the Warriors, they don't have a first-round pick this year. That belongs to the Saskatchewan Rush, and it just blows my mind that Derek Keenan has been able to pull off all the trades over the years that he does, and he did, and he still has first-round picks. So the Warriors would have had the fourth overall pick, but instead, that's going to go to Saskatchewan. And the rush will continue to build their wealth of riches and depth. And it's only going to make them better come next season. Colorado and Saskatchewan, we're going to touch on that game in a little bit because it kind of leads us into game one of the NLL playoffs. Uh, the final game in Rochester, we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, Saturday, Buffalo goes to San Diego And takes on the Seals. And unfortunately, I think this might be a sign of things to come for San Diego. Is that they lost handily to the Buffalo Bandits 18-7. Buffalo, the number one team in the National Lacrosse League. Finished the year 14-4. An incredible year for John Tavares, Richie Kilgore, and that group. Uh, They were just head and shoulders above everybody all year long. There was a time where Georgia was right with them. But again, the injuries to Mike Poulin allowed Buffalo to gain some space at the top of the standings. And they are going to be a very, very tough team to beat in these playoffs. Playing at home with the confidence they have and Matt Vince between the pipes, they're not going to be an easy team to knock off. And when they go into San Diego and put up 18 on the seals, only give up 7 If you're a San Diego Seals fan, I think you might have some concern. We'll ask some of these questions to Dan Dawson in a minute, but the Seals haven't been playing San Diego like lacrosse in the last few weeks. They're 6-4 and in their last 10. However, no Audie Stotts. Frankie Chiliano hasn't been at his best. And they just at times seem out of sorts. And it's strange to think that two players can have such a dramatic impact on a team. But with no Austin Stotts and a goaltender in Frank Chiliano that hasn't been playing his best ball. It's a sign of troubling times for the Seals. Yes, it's great that they're going to host a playoff game against Calgary. But the Roughnecks are one of the hottest teams going into the postseason right now. They finished the game on a or finished the regular season on a three-game winning streak. Del Bianco settling down that offense that now has Dixon, Dobie, Dutch, Bushy. Nope, he's in Rochester. Um, Jesse King, Riley Lowen. That is a formidable offense. And if San Diego is unable to control that offensive group and limit the looks. 
it's going to be a long night. If they can't get inside on Christian Del Bianco and challenge him and get him uncomfortable, I think it's going to be a long night. San Diego has tons of talent. Don't get me wrong. They're second in the West for a reason as an expansion club. But they're going to have to find a way to be successful without Stotts and find a way to recharge the batteries of Frank Shiliano. That semifinal game will go on Monday. That's the late game on the Monday, a primetime game. Again, it'll be very interesting to see how many people show up um, because it is a Monday. It's not something San Diego lacrosse fans have ever had to do. Uh, it's only happened, I believe, once in the NLL's history, thanks to Graham Perro, who filled me in on that. And so we'll have to wait and see. The other Monday game is Georgia and Toronto down in Georgia. Again, um, a market that has sometimes struggled to get fans on the best of days. Will be interesting to see how they do on a Monday. But their crowds have been getting better as the year has gone on. Unlike some other teams whose crowds have diminished as the year has gone on. So uh, Monday in Georgia, Monday in San Diego will be very interesting and a telltale sign of what Mondays in the National Lacrosse League could look like in the future because with more teams, we're going to need more dates and more dates means getting away from that traditional Friday to Sunday. Let's start with Dan Dawson. We'll, we'll get back to Colorado, Saskatchewan. Uh, we'll talk about Rochester in a little bit with Cody Jameson. Um, but Dan Dawson is now the third leading scorer in National Lacrosse League history. And if he's able to bring us one more full year in the National Lacrosse League next year, there's a very solid chance that he's able to surpass John Grant Jr. and finish his career second overall. It's going to be tough to catch JT. But if Dawson can have another year like he did this year, where he put up a team-high 88 points, 29 goals, 59 assists, if he can do that again for one more year, it's definitely an opportunity for Dan Dawson to become the second all-time leading scorer in National Lacrosse League history. And we'll ask him, does he have one more year in the gas tank? I caught up with Dan on Wednesday night, he just finishing his shifts at the fire hall, putting the kids to bed. And the first thing I asked him, is he excited for the playoffs? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit here. Uh, season's changing here. I, use, I always equate playoff time in the NLL when the sun starts rolling and you don't even need a suit jacket to go into the games. Yeah. Well, you guys have been showing up to t-shirts in San Diego. Yeah, we've been doing that since January, December, so I guess this home playoff date is no difference, but yeah, it's pretty funny you said that. Uh, you've been around the league for quite a while, let's say how many years, but um, you've had stops in Columbus, Boston, Arizona, Portland, now in San Diego. How does this market compare to others? It's great. Uh, you know, it reminds me a lot of uh, Arizona, obviously, I think because of the weather, um, and a lot of people being new to the indoor game. There is definitely some amazing lacrosse players out there that are getting D1 scholarship um, opportunities back east. So the talent is there. It's just more about getting the numbers up. 
and getting them involved in the minor lacrosse out there. That's the biggest key. And I think for a long time, we've always struggled to try to sell the indoor game to the Americans. Mm-hmm. But I think what Maddie Brown and those guys are doing, Shane and Santos, have just elevated what the indoor game is all about and telling people, listen, your rep count is through the roof. There's no out of bounds. You're getting the ball back in 30 seconds. There's no other way for a kid to get better than the indoor game. You just can't debate that. So that's our goal is to kind of cement ourselves in the minor lacrosse and give kids in the San Diego area something to aspire to and hopefully be SEALs one day. The fans have, have been there since day one. They've been great. Are they starting to really understand the game, or is it still a little foreign to some of them, you think? Yeah, I think, you know, you talk about nine games. I think majority of the lacrosse fans and sports fans in general are starting to kind of get a grasp, a grasp sorry, of what the changing is like. Well, had a transition guy had a great opportunity. Why did he change? Why did he pull the ball out? Um, why is one slash one shift and not the next shift? And I think we're at the stage where they, they, they're starting to more enjoy the game and, and not getting frustrated with what the rules are. Last time you played a full season was 2016. How's the body right now? It's good. Um, I, I've really got a grasp on, you know, my extracurriculars off the floor and listen to my body and try to slow down some of the things I, I thought I could do at my age um, and still perform at a certain level. And I think maybe a little bit of a reality check the last couple of years. Um, the body is good, man. I've been pretty lucky that I got um, working out with a strength coach, Andrew English, um, who's really kept me in tune with listening to my body and um, not doing as much volume and more concentrate on body weight stuff. So I owe a lot to him. Uh, obviously, the leg sleeves are helping. <laughs> yeah, we already talked about the placebo effect of yeah. uh, the, my my wife's leggings um, have helped me out <laughs> along the way here. How is the family right now, buddy? Obviously, uh, things are going good for you. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty lucky that I got an amazing wife that um, says we're going to ride this lacrosse thing out here and three beautiful boys that um, are, are, are love being around the rink and, um, you know, being away from them is hard, so... Um, besides that, uh, they're healthy, and that, that's the main thing. Are the boys right-handed or lefties? I got Theo a righty. Uh, Theo, Theo, great LaCroix. name. Yeah, Theo Dawson, Theo Joseph after uh, Big Daddy Dawson. Joe. Yeah, and uh, Kai and Brooks, and I don't know what they are. I don't even know if they, they know what a stick is yet, I do. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. They just chuck the stick like a tomahawk out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, this weekend uh, – is is going to be a little different for you guys since you're playing on a Monday. Uh, it's only happened, I think, once in the NLL's history. How does that change your preparation, you think? Just lining up your weekly workouts, um, the travel day and on a Saturday opposed to the Friday. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, like, Calgary's facing the same thing, so it really yeah. don't matter. This is something yeah. like the WLA, OLA that we faced in the past, and um, hopefully we get the fan base. I know it's going to be a little bit tough being a Monday, but um, we're excited. We're definitely excited. Obviously, the season the last few weeks didn't go how you guys had hoped. Obviously, the injury to Audi was a huge loss. You lost Bucky for a couple of games. How much does that adversity late in the season benefit you guys to learn what it takes to be a championship club? 
think that's, you know, huge. You look at, you know, take, for example, what the Tampa Bay Lightning have said, they didn't really have a lot of adversity throughout their run during the regular season this year, and they get four and four banged by Columbus in the first round. And then you look at our, our road to where we're at. Um, we, we've gotten blown out the last couple of games. And I think, um, if anything, it was a learning experience that, hey, listen, if if you think you show up to the rink and win games in this league, you're crazy. You're crazy. Your mental and physical preparation throughout the week is, is what's going to separate teams because everyone's kind of equal. It's the teams that at this point stay healthy, prepare better than the next team that, you know, can, can keep that streak going. And for us, I, I think it's a good thing. Um, these losses, as, as weird as that is to say, I think it was more reality checking and just getting us back to, hey, what works for us and how thankful we need to be to show up and, and prepare instead of just thinking we can win games. Uh, in the time that he was there, and obviously he's going to be with the club for the foreseeable future and much of his career, I'd imagine. But how impressed were you with Audie Stotts in his first year in pro ball? He blew my mind. I His compete level is is tough to match of any player I've ever played with. And, and that's saying a lot. I played with some mm-hmm. amazing players. But, I mean, this guy drops 50 goals on a Friday night shoot-around <laughs> against his fellow D guys. And we talked after that first game in Colorado. I said, this kid's going to drop 50 goals this week, no 50 goals this season, no problem. And mm-hmm. um, if, he, if he didn't get hurt, I guarantee he would be up there and – he, he, you know, he, he's taking a lot more pride in his physical fitness and his yeah. his diet. So he'll be back. He's in good hands down there in San Diego. He's already had surgery. So um, I think this is just a bump in the road for him. Absolutely. The the dynamic of your group, um, and again, kind of related to the fact that you've been on a few expansion teams in the past, but this is one of the better expansion teams that we've seen. And a lot of that has to do with the group that Patty Merrill has built. Uh, a lot of uh, young guys, but the experienced veterans have really helped that group, haven't they? Yeah, Patty, Steve, and Joe have been super aggressive in in free agency and um, very calculated into this in um, you know the expansion draft and the entry draft and you know adding guys like you know Garrett Billings, Kyle Buchanan, and Garrett McIntosh, Tor Reinhold, guys that you know have a lot to prove and that they're an everyday player and contribute every night and make a difference. And I think that that's, that's a big thing in our league is a lot of players can play at this level. They just need that opportunity. Yeah. And with the talent and the young guys coming up, it's tough. And, and uh, I think those guys have, have done an amazing job and the culture that Patty has done in the dressing room has been the biggest difference. Yeah, he, it's been incredible to watch his transformation from a very experienced and talented junior coach with the Arrows to now bringing that to the National Cross. And what he has done has just been remarkable. Uh, he still has that competitive fire, though, doesn't he? Yeah, he's one of my favorite teammates. And same goes for Josh and Billy. And they're just so passionate. And you can just see it in the, in the way they talk and the way they carry themselves. Like, they wish they could still be out there with you. And that's motivation for our guys is that, you know, they know that these guys aren't just saying something. This is the way they played. They're competitors, and uh, they've done a remarkable job with our group. Playing Calgary on Monday, uh, a team that matches up quite well with you guys. Um, What do you think is going to be the biggest thing for you guys to be successful on Monday? 
I think more than anything, uh, playoff is you got to stay out of the box and, yeah. you know, we got to eliminate their transition opportunities and don't let uh, Del Bianco get hot. I mean, listen, you cannot shut down Curtis Dixon or Dane Doby. It's uh, limiting their opportunities. And um, really sometimes, you know, like Courier, you, you talk about Bell, even Shane Simpson, like their training lines are, are unbelievable. So for us, if we focus on one thing, it's really staying out of the box, um, not getting into a track meet with them, and not letting uh, Del Bianco get hot. Yeah. Um, important for you guys offensively to get that ball going quickly. Uh, you need to spread the ball. How important will a guy like Casey Jackson be on Monday? He's been outstanding. This is really his coming out party. Yeah, I mean, when you see someone, I think he dropped over 50 goals in the summertime, and you think, wow, like, that's insane. Mm-hmm. And then he just, first couple games, he, he got it, he got his rep count, he figured it out, and then he hasn't looked back since. He's probably been our best player out the outdoor since then. And he's kind of the guy that is going to get two or three a night for us. You know, he's been that good. He's a power play specialist from that shooter position, and um, he's playing with a lot of confidence, and we wouldn't expect anything else from him this weekend. Uh, before I let you go, obviously we, we've talked about, um, you know, your your extended stay in the National Lacrosse League and, and the successes that you've had around the National Lacrosse League. What's it going to mean to you to play one more year in this league and probably finish your career as the second leading scorer in National Lacrosse League here, history? Uh, you know, I know you're, you're a humble guy, Dan, and I know that and you're, you know, you don't like the, the spotlight, but sometimes we have to give where it's due. And, and this is going to be an incredible mark for you. No, I, I appreciate that. And I know the significance of it. And trust me to, um, for my name to be get mentioned with those types of players, um, you know, it, it gives me goosebumps because those are the guys I looked up to and I owe a lot to them for making me the player I am today. Mm-hmm. And, and teach me what it was to be a winner, a competitor, and a professional. But more than anything, it's like this game has given me so much more than that. It's kind of given me purpose, and I'm I'm very realistic in 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 what's going to happen and transpire over the next year or so. Um, I'm getting really close here. My families mm-hmm. are getting older, and I want to stay home with the boys and my wife and. Um, I'm just thankful we're going to see how this weekend goes. And then me and my wife are going to sit down and uh, reevaluate if this commute was too too much and how hard was it on our family and talk to the guys at work and make sure, um, you know, uh, it didn't segue from the way I carry myself at work and then mm-hmm. my health. There's a big equation. So what, do I want to play another year? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I love this game to death, and um, but there's a certain standard that comes with that. I don't want to just prolong for the sake of prolonging my career. I want to contribute um, to the level that people expect of me. And uh, more than anything, I, I just got to sit down with my family and say, can we really do another year in the league? So summertime in Victoria, then, is what you're saying. <laughs> dude i it's funny if there was any summer to do it it would have been this summer um with the boys and my wife being off a teacher but i just can't do it i <laughs> i i would love to come back and talk to Welsh and the boys and give one more but 38 years old uh it, it was, i don't know if i can do it <laughs> well buddy you've uh you've given us all a treat to watch throughout the career and you are 
uh, one of the true gentlemen of our sport. I appreciate you, everything you've done on and off the floor. Uh, wherever you've gone, you've been a leader, and I know everybody in San Diego is appreciative of you. Good luck on Monday, and appreciate the time, my man. Thanks, Teddy, for all you've done, man. Without guys like you, we, we couldn't really tell our story, and and people, the way you sell us, you make us bigger than who we are, so we appreciate you. There is Dan Dawson of the San Diego Seals. The Seals and Roughnecks Monday night from Pachanga Arena down in Southern California. You can catch that game live on Bleacher Report Live, and Asking Dan about continuing his career one more year. Obviously, family, work, all the other things in life come into play. But who wouldn't want to see one more year from Dan Dawson? I don't think him playing another year is akin to Vince Carter. I saw somebody um, on Twitter and social media complaining about Vince Carter coming back for another year uh, because he's taking away a spot from a younger guy trying to make his way into the league. I think the more years we can get out of guys like Dan Dawson, the better because they are uh, legends of our game. They are some of the best our game has ever seen. And a chance for Dan Dawson to become second all-time in scoring, that would be phenomenal. I think he'll go down as the greatest right-hander to ever play our game. Uh, it's obviously up for debate. You can put Sean Evans in there. Uh, Mark Stainhouse would probably be somewhere in that conversation. Guys like Tom Marichuk, uh, Kevin Finneran, Jake Berge. The list goes on and on. But you cannot argue at what Dan Dawson has done over his career. Remember, he was a sixth-round pick by the Columbus Landsharks. And he's worked his way through four different expansion teams. Five now. He was in Columbus, Arizona, Portland, Boston, and now San Diego. The guy is just a leader, an incredible role model, and a guy that has done so much for the game of lacrosse, both on and off the floor. So if we can squeeze another year out of, or two out of those long spandex legs, I think it'll be great for everybody. So thanks for Dan Dawson for stopping by and giving us some time. Uh, he and I had been trying to line that interview up for a couple of weeks. So uh, thankful that he and I were able to get things sorted. We're going to chat with Cody Jamison in a little bit about everything that's going on in Rochester and, and how that sort of played out throughout the year because that had to have been a very, very tough situation for everybody involved knowing that at the end of the year your team is going to be gone and moving and relocating and and all those memories you've built with your fan base and and everybody within that area cannot have been easy for anybody from Kurt Styers through Jody Gage through Mike Hazen all the way down through Warren Hill and the rest of the players on that Nighthawk squad but I think they have to be commended for how they prepared themselves night in and night out, put themselves in a position to win games whenever they could, knowing that everything behind the scenes was happening, it couldn't have been easy. So we'll talk with Cody Jamison in a little bit, but first, you know what time it is. Let's hope our guest gives us more than stats. 
it's time for a chat with Smoke and Pat. Everybody's favorite jingle in the history of the world. And now we're joined by Pat Gregoire, as always. Patty, how are you, my man? Doing great, buddy. Doing great. Not quite uh, shorts weather like you have out there, but uh, things are, are looking bright and feeling a little toastier out here in Ontario. How white are your legs? Like, are you looking forward to the sunshine, or are you fake and bacon like our guy Tyson? <laughs> I'm not quite a, a fake and bake or a spray tan guy like uh, Big Tyson's, but uh, yeah, the, the legs are not looking too pretty. I, I can't wait to get a little bit of a natural glow on this body. On the have, you ever, have you ever gotten a spray tan? I actually have not. I would be honest if I have. I never have. I've I, I have fake and baked before, uh, but never uh, never a spray tan. I, I have not uh, dabbled in that yet, and I don't think I'll be doing it anytime. Uh, the regular season is over. We are on to the playoffs. Um, let's kind of look back at the regular season a little bit. What do you think the biggest storyline of this regular season was? Ooh, this is a good one because I felt like this season may have been the most intriguing year maybe that we've had in in recent years. Uh, but the one story I think that really stuck out, for, for me at least, was, uh, you know, the, the expansion, obviously, the tale of two different teams in mm-hmm. Philadelphia who just really, you know, had a lot of great games but didn't know how to convert them into wins. And then you have a, a San Diego team who obviously faltered a little bit down the stretch, but I think that was mostly due to some key injuries. Uh, mm. But a team that's an expansion team that you can consider a championship contender. Uh, and, and just what they've been able to do, the, the team that they have on the floor right now, uh, you know, sprinkled in with the, the young talent uh, and, and pair that with some key veterans who are having some big seasons. I think the Seals being, uh, you know, a Cinderella story has to be the biggest story of the NL season this year. You talked about Philadelphia and sort of not being able to, to capitalize. Half of their games this year were decided by less than two goals. If they have, you know, um, a 30% better record within those nine games, we're talking about a team that's probably in the playoff contention. So, as much as people think maybe this was a tough year for Philadelphia, which it was, I don't think they're as far off as people think they are. No, no, you're you're totally right. I think that you know you look at San Diego and the, the approach that they took. Um, you know they added those veterans. They added some key pieces of guys that have been around the league. You have Brody Merrill at the back door uh, up front. You know Dawson Billings. Uh, you know Buchanan. Those guys, they've, they've, you know, they've been there before. They've, they've been through the ups and the downs of being a professional lacrosse player. Uh, and you look at a team like Philadelphia, uh, of course they have you know, Kyle Matisse, Jordan Hall, but they just didn't have as many key veterans to kind of have these young guys lean on and learn from. So I think there probably was a bigger learning curve for this Philly team because not only did they have young players, they had players that were really learning the game. Look at Matt Bramble and, the, you know, the, the, the ability and, and what he's been able to do uh, down the stretch, uh, how effective he's been. Trevor Baptiste, uh, you know, obviously he's tremendous on the faceoff, but he's still trying to figure out the, the indoor game from a defensive and transition uh, point as well. So I, I think in the offseason, uh, Paul Day is definitely looking at his roster and, and uh, obviously he likes the core that they have, but I think he's, 
trying to figure out a way how he can add some veteran pieces. Uh, so when they're in those one, two goal games down the stretch, there's a guy that knows how to dig deep and, and pull his team through to get a victory. Well, obviously, you know, everybody in Philadelphia hopes that Fred Hickey will be healthy next year. So that will yep. give them another weapon. They're going to lose a couple guys in the expansion draft. So um, it, it's the sort of addition by subtraction as the Philly team right. goes through the right. offseason. We'll have to keep an eye on that um, as they go. The other team that missed the playoffs in the East, the Rochester Nighthawks, obviously um, a very interesting and difficult season for everybody in Rochester with, with what was looming over their heads all season long with the, the franchise moving to Halifax. Uh, we're going to talk to Cody Jamison in a little bit here on the show just to kind of get his perspective on things. But, you know, this couldn't have been a very easy year for anybody that was wearing teal this year. No, absolutely not. You wonder how much, uh, you know, of that really uh, weighed in on these players, knowing that it was their last year, you know, playing for a storied, uh, you know, franchise like Rochester um, and the Nighthawks. And, you know, the fans, obviously, they made they made it pretty clear. They were pretty upset with the way that this, you know, this organization, you know, even though they were going to still get a team, they just felt very disappointed that, their team, their players, the guys that they've watched over the years, uh, a team that went to game three of the NLL Cup last year is now being pried away. So I wonder how much that actually weighed on the players. Uh, but if you look at this season, it just seemed like it was a year that what could have been. Anytime you, you felt like maybe they had something going for them, something went wrong. Uh, you know, a lot of key guys out uh, you know, with injuries, some fluky injuries, obviously, as well, too. Like Austin Shanks not, you know, not being in the lineup uh, for a chunk of the season. Uh, Did you say not being in the lineup or not? <laughs> I, I didn't, but you, I mean, that definitely would work. <laughs> I mean, just, just everything seemed to just not go their way or not yeah. go their way. Not go their and, way, yeah. And, uh, I mean, and then you look at probably maybe the biggest thing between – uh, the team now, or two, I guess like you could say, is two additions, one within their lineup, uh, giving Warren Hill a chance yeah. uh, to be a starting goalie. And what a great job he did. Not only was he a starting goalie, uh, he was a goalie that made big save after big save, keeping his team in close games uh, and really allowing their defense to kind of play a style of D that they like to play. Uh, and, and I feel and I wonder if maybe this – management and coaching staff and I'm not going to question them because uh, what they've been able to do over the years uh, is tremendous and I, I, I will never ever try to guess anything that Mike Hazen or Kurt Styers is trying to do but you wonder what this season could have been if they went to Hill earlier because Goodleaf obviously it just wasn't working for them uh, maybe maybe the team wasn't playing well around them uh, but it just seemed like there wasn't that sense of urgency to try to go to Hill. And it seemed like once the season was kind of out of reach, that's when they went to him. The other one quickly I'll mention, obviously, too, adding a guy like Ryan Banesh uh, into that lineup. It's just a completely different dynamic. Obviously, Corey Vitarelli's a big glue guy, a big team guy, crashes and bangs. Uh, you don't want to see him go, but anytime you can get that skill set back, now you look at their lefties with Jamison Jackson and Banesh. I don't know if there's too many other offenses in the league that have quite as skilled lefties like they do. Absolutely. And, and you know, we talked about Philadelphia losing Brett Hickey. 
Um, Rochester lost Stephen Keel once they kind of acquired him in the trade. So yeah. there's another body uh, they were missing out. I really think that um, the biggest transition loss for that Rochester club was, was losing Matt Vince. Uh, the writing was kind of on the wall uh, yeah. early on, and, and that was a big loss. And obviously it was Buffalo's game. But I'm interested to see what Cody Jameson has to say about the year. And I'm interested to see um, not only what this club does in Halifax, but what the new look Rochester Nighthawks are going to be. Are they still going to be teal and purple? Are they going to change colors? Are they going to change the look of the logo? We don't know those questions, and we won't know uh, for a little while. But it'll be interesting to see how Nighthawks 2.0 turns out to be. Yeah, it, it really will be interesting, and I, I, I think if if they want to, you know, hold on to the fan base, I know the fan base is going to come back. They're they're going to cheer for this team. They're a very proud bunch. Uh, but for for me, for them to make too many changes with the actual logo and, and the the color scheme, I think that would be a, a huge miss. Yeah. If you kind of want to rebrand and kind of start a new era, I get that. Maybe do a little bit of a tinkering of the logo, maybe update it a little bit. But I think you got to keep the, the 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 teal, the purple, the black. You got to keep that history uh, and, and really, really embrace Rochester because so many of these players and you even the guy you have on today, Cody Jameson, had a great Instagram post as well, showing how much it hurts, and he mm. still can't believe that he's no longer a Rochester Nighthawk. There's so many guys that embraced Rochester, and I think. Uh, Terry Pagula Sports Entertainment. They have to embrace Rochester. They've done a great job with the Americans. I think they'll do a great job with the Nighthawks as well. 100%. Um, you have your Greggy's grinders on Inside the Cross. We're not going to give up too many spoilers, so we're going to change it. Um, who was Greggy's biggest gamer of 2018-2019? Because there were some guys who really showed up all year long. Yeah, I mean, there there's a ton of guys that I, I kind of had in mind when when you're thinking about this. I, I thought a, a you know a good guy would have been a guy like you know Keegan Ball, uh, kind of has a I shouldn't say kind of has a huge coming out party, a great season. Uh, but I kind of wanted to go with a guy that isn't really a guy that when you've watched their team, he's the guy you're watching. He's not your player to watch going through. Uh, the start of a broadcast. He's a guy that's an X factor. And for me, this guy was an X factor in the postseason last year. He was an X factor all season long. And if the Saskatchewan Rush want to be successful again and repeat as champions, I think Jeff Shatler is going to have to be a gamer. And that's why I think he was the gamer of the year. He led uh, the league in game winning goals with five. But anytime his team needed a big goal or a big play, it seemed like he stepped up obviously didn't lead the team in points. He was close up near the top, uh, but it just seems like any time uh, the rush needed a big play, whether it be a goal, an assist, a big loose ball, uh, you know, you know, taking a hard hit, setting a big pick, he always came up. And with the way that this Rochester team looks this year, or sorry, not Rochester, the Saskatchewan team looks this year, they're not the, built from the back end obviously they still have their key pieces obviously it's still a, a Derek Keenan defense uh, but they're not a team that I think that you can you know put your hat on and and really rely on obviously they're going to have some key defensive performances uh, but I think it's the offense that is going to have to uh, come out 
and really win this championship for them going down the stretch. And obviously, you know, you're Mark Matthews. He's going to come out and teams are going to game plan him. So you have to look for those other guys. And I think that's where Shatler is going to have to continue to be the X factor and be clutch if they want to once again be the, uh, the, the champions of the National Lacrosse League. How about Shatler's kid stealing the mic during his postgame? Yeah. He's not letting dad have a word. That's awesome. Now, that's a kid that likes the spotlight, just like his dad. <laughs> um, speaking of the rush, they're going to take on uh, the Colorado Mammoths for the second straight week in Saskatchewan. We all watched that game last week. Uh, Colorado didn't show up in the first half, down 11-2. Uh, but they made a bit of a game of it in the second half. Obviously, people will say, you know, Saskatchewan took the foot off the gas. The game was already out of hand. But now we're into the postseason, one in, and you're done. Um, so what's more likely to happen, Colorado upsetting Saskatchewan or New England upsetting Buffalo? This, one, this one's tough because I think, I mean, full disclosure, I think both top seeds are going to win this one. I, but I think these games are going to be closer than maybe some people think. Like you said, obviously, uh, Colorado just couldn't put a full 60 minutes of effort in, and that's really what the difference was. Uh, but anytime you have a guy like Dylan Ward in between the pipes, I'm not counting out that team. The way their defense is built, uh, I think if they can get into a, a, a gritty, uh, low-scoring battle, I think that they could potentially give the rush some scare. The only reason why I would say no is because it's in that building that's such a tough environment to play in. Mm-hmm. And, and and they have so many players that have been through what it takes uh, to be a championship team. Uh, and you look on the other side, Buffalo, same thing, a very ruckus, round, rowdy building with a lot of veterans in the lineup. And, and for me, I just don't really see uh, them being able to – or them losing a game. But if you look at the way the rosters are, are matched – New England's fast. They like to play fast. So does Buffalo. So I think they might be able to match their speed. And if you look in between the pipes, uh, if Doug Jameson could steal a game, maybe this is the best game for him to steal one. He was unbelievable last week. Once again, scored a goal. I'm not really expecting him to do that again. Uh, but I think if you look at maybe you have to pick, I might go with New England. Just a fact also, too, they have a guy like Callum Crawford uh, who's having one heck of a season, obviously, uh, minus the distractions of the suspension. Joe Rezateris is a guy that knows what it takes to win a championship. So maybe you give a little bit of an edge to them because they do have some uh, older veterans on that offense. But at the end of the day, Teddy, I, I hate to be that guy. I just, I just think both top seed teams are going to come out victorious. In the two games Buffalo played New England, the Bandits outscored them 27-11. to 11. Yep. So they're yep. going to need to find a way, the, the Blackers, they need to find a way to get inside, find a way to get past Matt Vince, somehow score 10 or more goals and hope their defense can hold on. Uh, Patty, always a pleasure, my man. Uh, great stuff, as always, on Inside the Cross, and great work with the Flash. Um, and fantastic chats all year long, my man. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I hope we can continue it through the playoffs, buddy. I'm sure we will. Uh, well, before we let you go, uh, the Ironheads kick off their season on Thursday or Wednesday? Wednesday. 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 And how are we looking, buddy? How are you looking? We're looking good. Uh, you know what? We still have a lot of guys away at school. Um, uh, and obviously that that's a big opportunity for some of these young guys that are going to get into the lineup to prove – 
um, that they belong. And, and when these veterans come back, you hope to be in a situation where uh, guys are, are battling every single practice, every time they're on the floor, not only they're, you know, game planning for another team, they're, they're, they're fighting for their jobs. And uh, that's kind of what we've tried to establish this year that uh, no, no, no job is safe. Um, that uh, you're going to come in every single practice, every single game and, and battle like it could be your last, because uh, as you know, uh, complacency is a deadly, deadly thing that can uh, loom in a locker room, and that's something that we don't want to have this year. Pat, thanks for the chat. No problem. Thanks for having me, buddy. There he is, Pat Gregoire. Shout out to Smoking Patty. He and the Ironheads got their first win of the season on Wednesday night, so they're off to a nice 1-0 start. We're still hoping that the Shamrocks and Ironheads meet in the Founders' Cup so Patty and I can go head-to-head on the coaching stage. We talked about Rochester and everything that's been going on with that club and how difficult it could and would have been to be in that position. And we talked about it before we chatted with Pat, but I just... I don't think it can be understated how difficult this season had to have been on everybody in that locker room, especially when they started going on that losing skid after putting a whooping on the Buffalo Bandits. After they beat the Bandits, I think, I want to say 18-13 or something like that, um, things kind of looked really good for that squad. They looked kind of maybe on the up and up. The the trust in Gus was there. uh, The offense was clicking. The defense was there. But then injuries started to happen. And when injuries start to affect a team, things can quickly go wrong. And unfortunately for the Rochester Nighthawks, those injuries started to mount up. And they just were unable to get themselves back onto the same page as a unit. And again, this is, that's not a knock on them. They just they ran into a real tough situation off the floor. And things weren't made easier on the floor with all those injuries. But again, to a man, you have to give credit to everybody that wore the purple and teal all year long, giving everything they had for that organization for one final year. It had to have been, and it was, a very, very emotional night inside the BCA when that final whistle went. Unfortunately, New England kind of spoiled the party, taking it 14-12 to over the Nighthawks. It would have been incredible to see that group win five their last five games, uh, including their final game at home. And it just wasn't meant to be. But the fans stuck around and cheered on the team. The players stuck around and cheered on the fans. And Cody Jameson was there through it all. From the moment he was drafted until that final game, he bled purple and Teal. And as a former Nighthawk, I am extremely proud that Cody Jameson was a member of the Nighthawks family because he truly was a leader, a role model, much like Dan Dawson has been throughout his whole career. Cody Jameson is a guy that the youth can really admire and look up to as they become the next greats in our game. So I was able to catch up with Cody Jameson during the week just to talk about everything that was going on during the regular season and everything that's been going on away from the floor and how difficult all that had to be to keep a focused mind throughout the regular season. 
and when I caught up with Cody, he was enjoying a beautiful day on the reservation. Sunny, sunny. We had a yeah. nice, uh, we had some nice rain last night. Peaceful to sleep to. I got a tin roof, so uh, oh, you know, it's uh, it's pretty good when it when it rains. It's pretty peaceful, and uh, I like yeah. listening to that. But um, sunny out today. Looks nice. A little med- little meditation music for you to go to bed to. Yeah. Um, obviously, the year didn't go uh, as you and the Nighthawks had wanted. Um, but I really wanted to kind of chat with you and pick your brain about the whole season and how it went. But let's focus on the last five weeks where you guys really started to show um, what you guys were capable of. How important was it mentally for your group to finish on a strong note? Well, I think, I think you know, the season's so short and, and lacrosse in general, even just sports in general, you know, if you're a, if you're an athlete, you know, you're usually a pretty competitive person. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, when we went through that skid there, it left a sour taste in everybody's mouth. And, you know, everybody will say, you know, you never want to lose a game, but to lose that many in a row, it felt mm-hmm. good to finally get out there and, you know, show that that wasn't truly our team. And, uh, you know, we were just got the bad end, you know, the short end of the stick a little bit. And, uh, so it was good mentally for all the guys to, uh, to go out on a, on a little bit of a high. What do you think was the biggest struggle during that stretch for you guys? Um, you always say you got to look for ways to win, but for our team during that stretch, uh, and it was the same thing the year previous where we just couldn't find, or we kept finding ways to lose instead of uh, finding that way to win. Yeah. Um, you know, we were up a couple games like late in the game and it seemed like one bad mistake where, uh, you know, where a strong team would, would be able to look past that and uh you know with our teams uh the past couple of years in those kids we were just finding ways to lose we'd, we'd one ball wouldn't go our way or we'd get a bad call or a bad bounce and uh you know it kind of deflate us and kind of cripple us to the point where you know teams were coming back in the last two minutes uh down three goals and stuff like that mm-hmm. um i think just we're finding ways to lose finding excuses to make for ourselves uh rather than you know battling through that and uh you know coming out on the good side of it obviously injuries don't help losing Sid was was a big loss for you guys uh and then trades start to happen as the year goes along what was sort of the the toughest mental block for you guys or, or toughest thing to get over as a group as that season went on knowing what was going to happen come the end of the year well when we were going through that skit it wasn't uh you know when you lose that many times in a row it you know, it's 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 uh, not something that you want, but it's um, you know we knew the consequences, and uh, we knew that the trade deadline was coming up, and you know that we couldn't really afford to lose any more games, and uh, you know we just happened to keep losing, and uh, so when the trade deadline came, and at the position we were at, we knew um, as veterans, uh, we had a veteran locker room, um, we knew that there's going to be some changes made, and guys, uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna get to go, you know go to a team with a chance for the playoffs um, and just, you know, just bringing in some youth. And, uh, you know, that was a tough part for us as a group because we felt like we deserved more. You know, we practiced hard every week. We felt like we were getting better. We just couldn't get over that hump. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it, it probably helped, uh, it helped, you know, in the, in the, in the years coming in the, in the future, but, right. um, you know, it was tough to see those guys go. The final game in Rochester uh, had to have been a very emotional one. Obviously, a win would have kind of put a nice cap on things. But how 
emotional was that night as the final seconds t- ticked down on the clock? Yeah, it was. Uh, it's still kind of hard to. It's kind of still kind of hard to comprehend. Like I don't, um, you know, all my all my clothes are Nighthawks and uh, yeah. all my, you know, so it's kind of. It still doesn't seem like it's over, like the ride's over yet. So I, I really can't really comment too much on that mm-hmm. because I, I don't feel like I'm moving on or I don't feel like I'm, I'm not a Nighthawk. Like, you know, I just got beat out of the playoffs and I'm, you know, looking forward to watching, uh, watching, watching the playoffs and see who comes out on top. And you know, t- until I'm a part of another team, I, I really couldn't say, yeah, um, how much it. I did, uh, I did, you know, stick around for a while afterwards and. Uh, Talk to talk to all the fans, and uh, you know, didn't really want to leave the dressing room just because I knew I wouldn't be back there. But um, you know, that's just uh, that's sports. Rochester's got a pretty unique feel to it. Obviously, I spent my first two years there living in Rochester, down in the Pink Palace, just down from the hotel, and <laughs> it, it, it is a, a an unbelievable city with an incredible fan base who have been there since before you and I were both even in the league. How much did they mean to you over your nine-year career in that city? Yeah, I I, uh, I grabbed the mic and I spoke to them afterwards, and I just thanked them for all the years. Uh, you know, I can remember, you know, my first few years uh, in the league. You know, we got booed out of the building, um, and and it was humbling. It was, uh, yeah. you know, it 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 didn't really, to me, it didn't show that they, you know, that they genuinely hated us. It just showed to me that they were passionate and. Uh, you know they they really wanted to win and what we were doing on the floor wasn't up to uh up to their standards that they were used to um and then uh you know to go on those three you know three wins in a row three championships in a row that was huge and you know we won mm-hmm. two of them in that barn and um you know it was it was loud in there and when when you're making a comeback even to this day you know our last game there when we uh when we start coming back and almost almost got it done you know it gets loud in there Oh, we yeah. may not have as many fans as some of the other teams, but you know that barn gets rocking when uh, when we're playing good and it's loud, and you know the fans really know how to uh, support you when you're when you know when you're winning. Tell me about the '88 Foundation and and the logo and everything that it means to you. Yeah, so I started, uh, you know, especially on the reserves, but everywhere, you know, suicide and mental health issues is uh, you know a big deal. So. Um, I wanted to, to start something just to, just to give kids hope, uh, you know, and for me personally, uh, you know, it's, it's just a way that I can relate to kids. Um, you know, just sitting around and saw that, uh, you know, thinking about what I could do, what I've always done camps and I've always done little clinics and trying to show the medicine of lacrosse and what's helped me, you know, anytime I get feeling down and out or if I'm, if I'm upset about something, you know, I, I've always, since I was a kid, tended towards to gravitate towards my lacrosse stick and really use that as the medicine and, uh, you know, take my mind off of things. Mm-hmm. So uh, it just kind of works out that it's a play on, play on words. You know, it's not really Team 88, it's just teammates. And, uh, you know, lacrosse is a team sport. And I've always, I've always enjoyed being around my teammates and, uh, you know, being in the locker room and having that friendship aspect, that family aspect of it. So it's just teammates. And, uh, you know, I curve the 88s into lacrosse mm-hmm. sticks. And, um, you know, so it's just teammates and it's just, we just go, I go around, uh, me and Dan Dawson go around to schools and, uh, you know, promote, promote lacrosse first and foremost, but we promote the, uh, the medicine behind it, the teachings that lacrosse gives you. Um, you always got a teammate and, uh, teammates are always there to support you.
That's fantastic, man. What a great cause and what a great thing you and Dan are doing. Um, did you ever work with the Right to Play guys? Yeah, I've actually done a few camps with uh, with Right to Play on uh, you know a couple different reserves. Um, but that was like when I was younger in my career yeah, before yeah. I uh, started this up. What was sort of the biggest thing you took away? Because I know a lot of guys. Chris McElroy was a big guy who was a part of that. Uh, I played with him in Victoria and in Edmonton, and, and he was a big proponent of the right to play. What did you take away from going to some different areas and helping them, you know, give them the medicine and show them what sport can do to, to better their lives? Well, to me, it, it, it kind of just, you know, I was I was younger, so I was a little bit more naive on, uh, you know, I went to these small-town reserves, and just to see, you know, how much we we truly do have um, here on my reserve and, and, and other places, you know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. you don't really know how good you have it until you see how bad some others have it. And, you know, we're at these, we're at these places, we're at these camps and the kids are, the kids are happy, you know, the kids are running around playing and, uh, you know, they don't know it other, any other way. So, um, you know, I always tell my kids, you know, be grateful for what we have and, you know, what's, what's given to us. Um, and, you know, you don't know how bad others have it or, or how good others have it. Just, you know, be grateful for what we do have and, um, you know, live your life the way, the way, the best you can. Are your kids lefties? Um, one of them's are, my older stepson's a righty, so I kind of have a tough time um, <laughs> with, 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 uh, with that. But my younger, my younger son's a lefty. Nice. And then they're, they're into lacrosse, are they? Yeah, they're, uh, um, Connor, my older son, he's been playing for a few years already. Um, but uh, my younger son's uh, five, so this is yeah. his third year, I think. Nice. Second year. Uh, are you, you know, coaching at all? Are you coaching all in the reserve during the summer? Yeah, I've, I've, co- I've, coached, uh, I've coached Connor right from paperweight, and uh, oh. I've been uh, Coleman's coach for – I've had paperweight for two years now, me and yeah. Murray Porter. Oh, nice. Um, obviously, the Halifax thing is the next sort of step for this organization. Um, you have you been there? Did you go on some of those trips with the group to Halifax? Yeah, I've gone to Halifax twice throughout this year. Uh, yeah. Once for the name unveiling, and um, I don't even know what I was there again for. But uh, yeah, I've been there twice. It's uh, it's it's exciting there. It's, uh, they don't have another, you know, another big big team. Um, you know, their Halifax Moosehead hockey team is like mm-hmm. the, uh, the biggest thing there. So it was, uh, it was exciting. A lot of people are, are excited. Um, you know, we had a little function afterwards and we were walking through, walking through the, the bar pub there. Um, and it was live music. So I, I like that. And, uh, you know, people, uh, people were already recognizing us as we were walking through saying, uh, awesome. there's the Thunderbird. So, um, it, it, it should be exciting. Did you like the name? Did you like the colors? Uh, I've liked the colors. I've always thought purple was uh, purple's always been my favorite color. Yeah. Um, and I've always uh, I always thought the Nighthawks had the best colors in the league. So um, I'm glad we got to you know keep purple. Um, yeah, and I spent some time with the Hamilton Nationals, so I don't I don't really mind uh, white, purple, and orange. Yeah. Uh, you're happy that uh, Kurt Styers is sort of keeping this group together and and moving forward in a, in a positive direction. Yeah, I, I still feel like uh, we got one of the stronger cores. Um, you know, obviously I'm a little bit biased, but um, I, you know, our team uh, has a great, great young, uh, great young stars coming up. Uh, you know, with Graham Hothick obviously leading the way, and uh, you know, we got a good group of younger, younger, talented players with, you know, 
Wiz and uh, Shanksy and KJ, you know, and the, you know, Gillies and, you know, the list goes on of our young talent. So, you know, I, I don't believe that, uh, you know, that, that this year missing the playoffs really reflects on, on really them as much, you know, they put in the work and they're, uh, you know, they're very, very talented. So I expect to, you know, bounce back next year and be back where we want to be. I continue to be in awe at the skill, talent, and size that some of these rookies have coming into the National Lacrosse League every year. Does it get kind of intimidating being a, a quote-unquote older guy now in the league <laughs> as these young guys are coming in? Um, yeah, a little bit. Uh, you know, every, every year it seems like uh, you know these these younger guys are getting bigger and uh, stronger and faster, and their IQs are going up. Uh, I've been I've been saying it for a little while here, where I I'm kind of kind of in that middle of the era. I kind of maybe I feel I feel like I should have been uh, you know about ten years older, and I because um, these guys are getting uh, you know pretty big and strong yeah. and fast. So. You have one year left on your ten year deal. Does it feel like it's been that long? No, not at all. I lost one year with my knee injury, yeah. but right. Um, no, not not at all. Like I said, uh, after the game, you know, this, these nine years have flown by, and uh, you know, it's hard to believe that I'm really that old already. You're not uh, old, like, Cody. You're not old, buddy. <laughs> well, in this in this league, uh, you know, with the amount of talent that keeps coming in at a younger and younger age, uh, you know, it's it's getting pretty hard to keep up with these guys. But uh, you know, this, these nine years in Rochester definitely flew by, and uh, you know, I could I could see myself. Uh, you know, you know, getting to the getting to the end closer than uh, the start. You're not gonna pull a John Tavares and play to your 45. Well, I'd, I obviously I would love to do that <laughs> if I uh, if I could, but I don't. I don't. You know, he's uh, he's in a world of his own. Jammer, uh, you are an incredible ambassador for the sport, for the game, for the city of Rochester. Everyone in Halifax is gonna appreciate what you do. Uh, I appreciate what you do for the game and, and for the people of our sport. Thanks very much for your time. Uh, enjoy the summer, my man. It's going to be an interesting one. Yeah, thank you. That's Cody Jameson of the Rochester Nighthawks slash Halifax Thunderbirds. In talking with Cody, I, uh, every time I talk with Cody Jameson, I am continually impressed with his character with his demeanor, with his professionalism, uh, the way he handles himself on and off the floor. Uh, an incredible, incredible man, and I just love chatting with him. Uh, you can feel the passion. I didn't know um, teammates was pronounced the way it was. I thought it was actually Team 88s, um, but I think the play on word of teammates is actually phenomenal. Um, and what a great idea just to continue to help uh, grow the game of lacrosse through the youth uh, on the reservations where you know we all know um, more some more personally than others the struggles that the youth on reservations have with alcohol and drugs and suicide. So giving them the medicine game and a way to uh, find an outlet for some of their demons. Uh, I can't thank Cody Jameson and everybody who gives back to the game enough for what they do because we need more kids playing. More kids continuing to fight through the darkness and realize that there's more to live for and there's a bright future ahead of them. So uh, thanks for Cody for stopping by and thanks for him continuing to do all the work that he's done uh, when he was doing work with right to play was phenomenal. 
Um, and now with uh, the teammate stuff, it is just uh, continued uh, success for him, his family, uh, and everybody within the reservation, on the reservations uh, around the world. Know that there are outlets for you and people willing to talk and to help. Uh, I haven't seen the movie Grizzlies yet. Uh, I can't wait to go see it. It's on my list of things to do. I've heard nothing but nothing but great things about the movie, and I think it's a very eye-opening film on what these young kids have to deal with on a daily basis on those reservations where life isn't easy. So as we watch these national lacrosse games, we are all tuned in every week to be our live. It's the first year of the sponsorship between the National Lacrosse League and Turner Sports. And overall, I think we can all agree that it went quite well. Sure, there were some hiccups. There were some glitches. There were some times where games didn't air. But those little bugs and kinks are to be expected in a first-year partnership. And they were quickly resolved as the year went along. But what does the future hold for the National Lacrosse League and Bleacher Report and Turner? And where does the NLL go in the future as we continue to add more teams, more players, and more major markets? Is TV on the horizon? We now know that the National Lacrosse League has expanded its viewership to include those outside of North America as we enter the playoffs, which is huge. Will that continue for years to come? Will there be other ways for fans to watch the National Lacrosse League in years to come? The man with the majority of those answers is Joel Felt. He's the director of broadcasting for the National Lacrosse. He was brought in as a consultant. And us broadcasters have worked with him hand in hand as this year has gone along. Trying to bring you the best possible coverage, the best possible looking broadcasts. And Joel has done a remarkable job getting everybody on the same page. So I was able to catch up with Joel this week and just kind of wrap things up on a year of NLL and BR Live and figure out where we go next. You know, really excited. This is really, you know, go through the grind uh, of 99 regular season games. But uh, when you get to the, the playoffs, um, a new dip of energy uh, comes around and we're ready to go. You are in charge of broadcasting and the broadcasters and making sure that we all do our jobs properly and the best of our abilities. How has the NLL and BR taken uh, to this season? Well, you know, it's really been a great uh, first year of our partnership with uh, BR Live. Um, average unique viewers this year up 27%. Our average minute audience, which is really one of the really great indicators of engagement, is up 15%. And uh, the tenant units, total unit sales for people buying either a game or multiple games has jumped over 150%. So this has really been a really successful year for us and it's just really we're just getting started obviously uh the commissioner and his ott platform ideas um have taken some you know roundabout ways to get where we are we had you know um nll live and we've had now bleacher report um mm-hmm. what is the future of the national lacrosse league and broadcasting well, I think the, I think the, it's where the audience is going, Teddy. You know, more and more people are watching 
sports events in, in ways where they can watch in any device that is available to them. Less and less people are watching the way traditionally people like myself and probably you grow up, which is sort of like plop down in front of the television set. The reality is, is that this league wants to cut its own path and be in control of its own media rights and have the opportunity to be able to broadcast every single game that it can. And uh, by do by having being partnered with uh, BR Live and having an over-the-top or digital position, we have the opportunity to be able to bring every single game to our fans. And now fans outside of North America are going to get a chance to watch the National Cross League as well. How important was it for you guys to sort of finalize that deal and get exposure worldwide? You know, it's we're just looking. We're looking to distribute the pro, we're looking to distribute the game um, around the world. And you know, we needed to start with a foundation this year, which was to build production teams in each one of the eleven, soon to be thirteen franchises to put out a highly credible product. And every club has has done that. Uh, that took, as you know, a lot of work to get everybody on the same page and make the investment that's required to produce a a high quality broadcast. And once you do that. Then you've got something to sell. Now we can go to uh, working with Turner, uh, who owns the exclusive rights, to work with them to sell our product internationally. So I don't need to tell you that we've got a great sport. We've got a great television sport, which is, I think, really important. And uh, we're being very aggressive in trying to distribute the product to as many markets as we can. How important is it for the National Lacrosse League through Turner and Bleacher Report to get national sponsors? You know, it's really critical, Teddy. You know, that's one of the reasons, again, why we're partnered with Turner. Um, there are many players out there who wanted our product, and um, we made a decision to go with Turner for a number of reasons. And probably the most important part was because of their belief in the National Lacrosse League and their commitment to growing the partnership. The sales effort has been a joint sales effort between uh, our team, Kevin Morgan, who runs our sales uh, efforts, and the entire Turner sales team. And mm -hmm. as you know, they've got some pretty high-value properties as part of their uh, media enterprise, including the NBA. And so it gives us access to national sponsors that, quite frankly, the league hasn't had in the past. Um, as you know, a few a couple of months ago, uh, we made our first national non-endemic deal with Geico, mm -hmm. and um, we're about to announce another major national sponsor partner in time for the playoffs, which will probably get announced in the next couple of days. That's awesome. Um, I thought it was, you know, talking about, you know, Turner and their properties, you know, the NBA hearing Kevin Harlan read a promo for the National Cross League during an NBA game is something we've never had before, which just continues to get eyes and ears on our sport. Yeah, listen, it's, 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 it's really exciting when you're the little guy on the block and you're trying to compete with some of the big boys. And, um, and to your point, uh, yeah, the Kevin Harlan promo was great. I remember sitting in my living room watching an NBA game and Marv Albert did a promo for the National Cross League when, LeBron James was at the at the line, and I had to like do a double take. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's really exciting. And listen, you know, the league's been around for a long time, and it's been very successful for a long time. But when Nick was brought in a couple of years ago, he was brought in to turbocharge the league, 
And so, um, you know, he looked at the various ways that we could uh, grow the league. And, you know, you grow, growing the league is the number of different ways that you grow the league. Obviously, you get more fans into the building, sell more tickets. But the two parts of the business that, you know, probably hadn't been paid as much attention to was the value of its media rights and expansion. And uh, as you know, over the last couple of years, we've added a couple of teams. We're adding a couple of teams next year. There's more teams potentially on the horizon for expansion in the not too dear, near future. And now I think we've got a media strategy where um, we've got valuable live content. Next year, we're going to have, with the addition of two new teams, we're going to have 118 regular season games. And that's a pretty significant amount of live content to be able to work with Turner and Maria Partners to be able to distribute our products. We're now going to have a, a quote-unquote pre-show before NLL playoff games. How important was that for you guys to kind of have just another aspect to the broadcast? Well, you know what? It was something that we developed for a very specific reason. We recognized that, you know, when you decide to go the route of subscription only, um, you're going to have a much greater challenge in trying to convert non, you know, fans who are not, uh, people who are not fans of the sport, um, to try to sample the product. That's probably one of our greatest challenges. Mm-hmm. And pregame show as an opportunity to not only add some additional live content to promote the game itself, but also because we were able to work with Turner to distribute that pregame show on the NLL social media channels on Twitter and Facebook, it would be available to anybody. And we mm-hmm. put some paid advertising against it. So we're hopeful that some casual fans We'll check out the pregame show and then hopefully, you know, pay the two ninety nine to go buy the game. So it's a great experiment. Um, uh, I believe in expanding our live content. Our live content is the most valuable asset that we have. Um, you all are at the, the ballpark anyway, um, and so we should be doing this. We should be doing these sorts of yeah. things. And I think that if it's successful in the playoffs. Um, uh, I'd like to see us roll out a pregame show before every game next year. Absolutely. Um, before I let you go, obviously the playoffs are a big thing, but what's going to be sort of your number one task during the off season to make 2020 better than 2019? <laughs> uh, that you make 2019, yeah, 2019, 2020 better. You know, yeah. I think it's really about, I think it's really about building on the foundation that we had this year. I'd like to see the clubs, invest, continue to invest in production. Um, as I said, I think it's a really, really great game for television. So closer, um, more intimate camera work, an expansion of our NLL wired initiative this year, which I think proved to be really successful. Um, as I think, you know, for, for, for the playoffs, um, we've instructed all of the clubs that we want to hear the referee, uh, when they adjudicate replays with the video technicians. I think it's one of those great mysteries as a sports fan, you never get to hear. Um, the league is great at being, allow- being allowing broadcast to do that sort of thing. I can't imagine that, you know, if you wanted to do this in hockey or baseball, that um, it, it would be um, as welcome, if you will. And the refs have been great to allow us to do that. So, you know, we're looking to build on the production foundation. We're looking to build up on build on distribution. We're looking to get more fans to sample the product. We think that by sampling the product through our broadcasts that would encourage them to buy tickets. So, you know, we're just looking to build on what we've done so far and, and, um, and continue to grow our partnership with Turner. 
uh, NLL Productions, the Lacrosse Flash. You guys have some great interior products that help bring the game. How important is it to tell the stories of the players? You know, it's a very important component of what you have to do. You know, building, making stars or getting name recognition for these players really is one of the great keys to driving interest. And when you see what the NBA has done, um, uh, you see what the NFL has done over the last 15 years in terms of uh, growing its, uh, its players. You know, frankly, we are trying to work with the players on that front, Teddy, as much as anything else. It's really up to the players as much as anything else to create their own brands and put themselves out there. You know, the league can offer some best practices and direction, but at the end of the day, we, you know, we're hoping that our players recognize the value of building their own brands and building the sport. We know that that's a challenge, um, uh, but there's a lot of, as you know, there's a lot of great personalities, not just great players who have great athletic ability and are stars, but there's also great personalities in the league. And we're trying to encourage the players to take advantage of the opportunities that they have through social media and the league's um, encouragement for them to be individuals and to try to and to help us build their um, their name value um, in the league because um, as you know there's you know there's 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 uh, you know from from the Lyle Thompsons to the Tom Schreibers to the Trevor Baptiste of the world and there's many others Matt Vince of the world there's there's plenty of great, great, great players with great personalities, and we just want to see them um, uh, get higher visibility. And I think through that, uh, the the league will, you know, there's another component to the league growing. One more before we let you go, Joel. Um, obviously, you mentioned that the National Lacrosse League, you know, wants to kind of keep control of their product. Um, but is TV on the horizon, a TV deal for the league on the horizon? Is that something that the league's kind of not focused on right now? No, we're going to be talking. We'll be talking to Turner about that when the season's over. You know, right now we've got an exclusive streaming deal with Turner, mm-hmm. and it's been a very successful partnership with them. But just like um, every league with their broadcast partners, we'll sit down with our broadcast partner at the end of the year. We will um, we're actually meeting with them at the end of this month. Um, we'll talk about the things that um, worked for you know worked for us collectively and how we can grow that partnership. And I suspect that conversation about TV will be on the agenda for a discussion to see if that's something that would mutually help us move the needle forward. Joel, always a pleasure, my friend. It's been great working closely with you this year, and I know next year is going to even be better, but we still got a few more weeks of lacrosse to take care of, and I'm sure uh, the National Lacrosse will continue to put out great stuff all the way through the NLL Cup Finals. Thanks very much, Joel. Appreciate it, Teddy. Thanks. There's Joel Feld of the National Lacrosse League. And again, can't thank him enough for his work away from the arenas, continuing to partner with BR Live, making sure that fans around North America and now the world can watch this incredible sport from the comfort of their own home or wherever their smart phones, computers, tablets, whatever, take them. I would love to see the National Lacrosse League on TV. I think it is a huge thing for this sport to get there. I've said it before on this podcast. If a regular casual sports fan can be flipping through their numerous amounts of sport channels and stumble upon a lacrosse game, there's more chance they stick around and watch parts of that game than there is a chance to have a random sports fan 
Google BR Live and National Lacrosse League to find a game and watch it. Once we can get fully on TV, I think that will help grow our sport. I think the partnership with BR Live and Turner is phenomenal because now, as Joel said, the National Lacrosse League can control their product. They own their product. And they can put it out there however they want in through whichever social media platforms they wish, which is massive. But to get on TV is a next major step for this league. Adding more teams, adding more players, more major markets. The goal to get on television will be a priority, in my opinion, for the future of this game moving forward. So we'll see how that partnership goes. As Joel said, they're going to have talks uh, in June uh, just to kind of recap the year and how things went. And maybe the talks of television will become a thing. And maybe next year we could have a national TV deal. We're not putting that cart in front of the horse quite yet. But one never knows. One last thing before we go as May begins and June approaches. That means that the Canadian summer season is right around the corner. And with it being a Western Man Cup year, you always expect Western teams to begin to load up on some talent. And this year is no different than years past, although maybe more so in the fact that the bodies that are coming West this year are... That much more high profile. They are that much more interesting in the names that are being moved. And also, it's great for the WLA because they're finally doing all that they can to kill the dang Eastern drought. One man cup since 2005. And that was 2000. And 15. So some of the bodies that are coming east or is coming west from the east. Ryan Keenan, Austin Shanks, Graham Hosick, Adrian Sorchetti, just to name a few. We've got the likes of Aaron Bold, Steve Priolo, Chris Bushy, and the names go on and on. Summers out west are a great place to be. Everybody knows that. So it surprises me that more eastern guys don't want to come out west for the summer. Understandably, when it's an Eastern Man Cup, those guys want to stay a little closer to home. Chance to win a hometown Man Cup. I get that. But there are the odd eastern guys that want to change a pace, a relocation, as it were. And a chance to experience the West Coast lifestyle. And maybe, just maybe, some of these new names that are relocating West will want to stay out West and become full-time Westerners, much like guys like the Harnets, Corey Small was for a while, Ben McCullough. Now I'm naming a lot of Victoria guys because that's all I can think of right now. But even throughout the WLA and the WLA teams throughout the league, there are 
a number of Eastern guys who have relocated West full-time. There are guys that like to go back and forth, but I love the fact that Western teams aren't sitting idle and are actually doing all they can to make a competitive team and a competitive run to the 2019 Man Cup. Victoria is going to be very talented. We all know the depth of offense that Maple Ridge has. New West is always going to be good. Coquitlam, with the return of Christian Del Bianco, will be a much improved team. Burnaby is going to be a much improved team. Nanaimo will continue to improve. Langley is going to continue to improve. With talent coming from junior ranks into the seniors, the WLA will continue to grow. And with the influx of Eastern imports, the talent level will continue to rise and the competitiveness in the WLA will be that much stiffer. So I like the fact that the WLA teams are trying to poach a little bit from the MSL clubs because they do it to us quite often. And it's good to see it going the other way for once. So get ready for the WLA Summers. We're only about three weeks away from the WLA starting. Uh, the BC Junior A and Bs have started already. So as the NLL winds down, summer season begins to kick off. Expansion is coming. More teams are coming. So we need more ways for eyes to be on our sport. So as we head into the first week of the National Lacrosse League playoffs, things get going on Friday night from Toontown. It is the Saskatchewan Rush taking on the Colorado Mammoth. And as I kind of mentioned, if Colorado can't get out of that first quarter, they're going to be in very tough. And I mean very tough. We saw what Saskatchewan did to them last week. In that first half, outscoring them 11-2. Obviously, as that game went on in the second half, Saskatchewan kind of took their foot off the gas, allowed the Mammoth to get back into that lacrosse game. If they don't take their foot on that gas, I don't think it's as close as it eventually was. But if Colorado is going to have any success on Friday night in Saskatchewan, they have to win that first quarter. And if they don't win that first quarter, they have to be within... A couple of goals of the rush. If it is a blowout after one, I'm not sure the rush are able to claw their way back. No Eli McLaughlin most likely. Still don't know the status of Corey Vitarelli. Uh, when you're playing guys like Brad Self and Taylor Stewart out the front door, while they were able to contribute in the last few games while those injuries were a part of the mammoth psyche, they're not true O-guys. And when you're playing a defense as talented as Saskatchewan, you need all your horses on the floor giving you every possible chance to have success. And again, if Saskatchewan puts the boots to the Mammoth in that first quarter, it will be a very, very long night. 9.30 Eastern, Rush and Mammoth on Friday. 7.30 Eastern, Buffalo hosting New England. On Saturday, and then the Monday games. No, nothing on Sunday. We go right to Monday. 7:30 Eastern, Toronto in Georgia. 10:30 Eastern, Calgary in San Diego. NLL Mondays should be a lot of fun. Thanks to Dan Dawson. Thanks to Pat Gregoire, Cody Jamison, and Joel Feld for joining me. 
And as always, thank you to you, the loyal fan, for listening and making this podcast what it is. My name is Teddy Jenner. Find me on Twitter at OffTheCrossbar or email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Enjoy the games this weekend, everybody. Until next week, be excellent to each other.